Welcome to episode 157 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Now, when I first started the podcast, I made a big list of names of people that I wanted to get on. And this person was definitely up there um, in the top five, ten people that I wanted to get on the podcast. So I don't know how it's taken this long to get him on, but I'm delighted to have on the podcast this week, Director of Performance Science at Kitman Labs, also the performance coach at the US Men's National Team and performance consultant, Darcy Norman. And Darcy's got vast amounts of experience in football, working with clubs like Bayern Munich, Roma, also the German national team, and obviously now with US as well. Um, And he's got great experience, but great knowledge, and also some great testimonials, recommendations. When you've got people like Mo Sauer talking about him having a great impact on his career, um, you know that the work that he's done has been superb. So, We got into a number of different topics. We got into his background and his career. We spoke about um, how he rates the standard and the culture of strength conditioning in football. We spoke about what changes potentially need to be made to develop the player of the future with how the game is progressing. We talked about managing the individual and he spoke about the work that he did with Mo Salah. But then we also spoke about the relationship between the physical and technical skill development and how that translates or um, transpires through someone's career and then also working with older players, players like Francesco Totti that he he worked with in his career as well, um, as well as a few others. And then we touched on how strength conditioning fits into tactical periodization or the tactical periodization model and his experiences with that too. So loads of great information in this one. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Darcy. It was great to speak to him and I really appreciate him giving up his time. He's away on camp at the moment. So I really appreciate him coming on the podcast. Really exciting announcements before we get into the episode. We have got not one, but two networking events coming in November. First one, 4th of November at Leighton Orient Stadium. And I'm delighted to say former guest of the podcast, David Johnson, who is now West Ham Academy Physical Performance Scientist, is going to be presenting for us. Anyone that's in the work that that David's um, getting out and the research he's getting out at the moment is absolutely first class. And you can also go back and listen to the podcast with him. So early bird tickets are available for that event on the 4th of November, 6 till 9pm at Leighton Orient Stadium. And then on the 16th of November, we are going to be at the opposite end of the country, northeast. We are going to Newcastle United, St. James's Park. And we have got performance consultant, again, former guest on the podcast, Dawn Scott is going to be presenting for us. And Dawn is going to be presenting on how the US, um, the USA prepared for the Women's World Cup in 2019 and obviously went on to win that tournament as well. So she's going to go into some of the preparation that went on behind the scenes for that victory. So I'm absolutely delighted to be bringing you these events and these speakers. So go over to footballfitfed.com. You can click on the events tab at the top. Get yourself an early bird ticket as this goes out. Um, we will we'll be running the early bird for a couple of weeks and then the tickets will go to full price. So make sure you confirm your place. Go to footballfitfed.com and come and join us at one of or both of our events upcoming down at Leighton Orient and then up back in the northeast um, at Newcastle United. So really excited for those events. It'd be great to see as many of the listeners there as possible. We will get into the podcast now though, so episode 157 with Darcy Norman. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Darcy Norman. Darcy is the Director of Performance Science at Kitman Labs, also a performance coach for the US Men's National Team and performance consultant as well. So I'm sure many people know of you, Darcy, and the work that you've done. Um, but looking through on your website today, the clubs you've been involved with, like there's, there's a long list there and a long list of uh, illustrious clubs as well. So, but first of all, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, having me on. No, not at all. Um, we've got some exciting stuff that I want to jump into in a little bit, but just to start with, in case anyone's been living in a cave, they don't know anything about yourself. Um, do you want to just take us through a little bit of your background um, in, in terms of who you've been involved with? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so originally from a uh, little town, Grand Prairie, Alberta, Canada, um, grew up, I played a bunch of sports in high school, like most guys, probably uh, most people, and then um, got into competitive alpine ski racing and uh, ended up competing in college down in the U.S. And then that's where I did my schooling. So I got my undergrad at uh, Washington State University in kinesiology, athletic training and, and biology. And then ended up uh, a few years later after graduating, going back to PT school uh, and became a physio uh, at the University of Washington. And then had a private practice for a little bit, um, then joined uh, what was formerly Athletes Performance, now Exos, uh, in the U.S. back in, gosh, 2003, before performance training was an industry. <laughs> and, uh, and then... Um, through that network, that kind of opened my eyes to a lot of opportunity. You know, we were kind of mountain folks, want to get back to the mountains and ended up moving to Lake Tahoe, California. And, uh, and then I still kind of consulted with Exos, but took a role with Team High Road Cycling. It was T-Mobile, then um, became High Road after the, all the drug scandals. And then, so that was a very interesting time, five years with them. And then had the opportunity, got into football, my first uh, gig with the professional football, European football or soccer, as we call it, uh, club was Bayern Munich in 2008 as a fitness rehab coach. Um, so it was with them 2008 through 10, uh, three different coaches in that time period. And uh, then had the opportunity, went back to the States, had the opportunity to join the German national team um, and doing stuff with Adidas on some consulting things. Uh, so I was with them through the 2014 World Cup, um, then had the opportunity to move to Rome and take on uh, director of performance for AS Roma. So the first team through the through the club um, down into the academy. And then, you know, we decided to come back. Kids were getting older, need to get them through high school and uh, off to college. And so we came back to the States and had the opportunity to uh, start up with U.S. men's national team in 2019. Previous to that was with Kitman, joined Kitman Labs at that point. Uh, that was September of 18. And uh, here we are today. And we've just been talking about some of the exciting stuff that's going on at Kitman as well. So I don't know if you want to touch on, on any of that um, now as well. Yeah, I mean, gosh, lots going on, uh, involved with a bunch of different uh, teams, groups, organizations across the globe, just a bunch of phenomenal practitioners trying to move the needle forward and, um, you know, trying to do something that probably hasn't been done in sport and, and giving practitioners, you know, practical tools through electronic medical recording, athlete management system, systeming, you know, be able to do real time uh, analysis, uh, and analytics within, within the platform. Um, so a bunch of, a bunch of really good stuff coming down the, down the line, um, starting to work with the national football league is league MR and, and, uh, um, you know, just acquired Prasagia sport, which is a kind of an EMR based company here in the U S and so, you know, working, starting to work with a bunch of power five and NCAA schools here in, in uh, the U.S. So lots of good, exciting stuff and things going on. So really, uh, really enjoying it. Brilliant. Well, I wanted to ask just to start with, just, just to get your perspective and start a bit broad, your perspective on um, strength conditioning in football. So from being involved at a number of different clubs, um, but looking at it as an overall, um, like in terms of S&C in general, in terms of preparation, physical preparation for players, how would you rate the level that we're at and the sort of culture of S&C in football? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we've come a long way since I worked in football, um, you know, from 2008. Um, it's definitely gotten a lot better. Um, and, you know, I, but I still think we have a long, a long way to go to continue to, to get it better. I think, you know, just when you look at other sports and the demands of those sports and how they've integrated strength and conditioning, like Australian rules, football, um, AFL, you know, the guys are running the same volume, if not like actually more volume than, than, you know, what, a, a footballer would do. 
Um, and they're, you know, strong, big guys and not that, uh, you know, footballers need to be big by any means. And I don't, uh, you know, I think that's where a lot of the confusion come is, comes is they, they, uh, parallel strength with size. And that's certainly not the case. Um, but I think we can do a lot more and, and the mentality certainly changing and you're seeing, you know, more physical, stronger guys out there. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you can get more fit by being stronger pound for pound because your energy per step to cover that distance is going to be less relatively speaking, if your, your max strength is, is, is bigger. Um, and then, you know, obviously with the metabolic capabilities. So, you know, I think in theory, you can, you can become more fit just by being stronger. And with the clubs that you've been involved with in terms of culture and, and I suppose buying from players in terms of that developing max strength, what's the, um, what's the sort of reaction being like for players? Is it always been that players have sort of got on with it or have you, have you fought some battles along the way to, um, get your your views and your philosophies across yeah i mean you know your belief system is like your religion right and if i start changing your religion or ask you to change your religion you're going to be a little reluctant uh, because that's your belief system that's gotten you to where you're at today and so um it was definitely an eye-opener when i first started in football um because yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very heavy technical base sport. And so you don't, you know, a lot of the time is on that rather than in, in the weight room, you know, compared to an American football kind of scenario where you need that size and, and volume. Um, and so it made me rethink my approach hands down. Cause you know, my first, um, job with Byron, I, I've, I've told this story a few times, how to play and he's like, Darcy, I'm the best player at my position in the world. And I've never lifted a weight. So why should I start now? And I was like, it's a good point. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. need to take yeah. that in and uh, think about it and reapproach how I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get people to buy in. So kind of thinking about it and regrouping, I thought about, you know, if the, if the ultimate goal <clears throat> is to improve power and power output and power repeatability or power endurance, then, you know, if you scientifically look at it where power is work divided by time, right? And so we think, you know, we always think we got to improve or do more of the work part to improve the power part. But if we look at the time piece, you know, that is based on efficiency. So if I can do something in less time, I become more powerful. Hmm. So then I started thinking about it. And, you know, just if we can improve people's movement efficiencies, without necessarily moving the work part, then we're making them more powerful Mm. and they can do more with less. And so that's really, you know, depending on the spectrum and and of where they're at, that's kind of the approach. So it's because everybody wants to move better. Everybody wants to feel better while they're moving. And so, you know, that's where we started. And then once they got proficient at all those pieces and were really good at everything, then it's like, okay, the only option here is to add resistance. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of how it got started. Um, and, and then, you know, they were kind of bought into the program and you got to meet people for where they're at, you know, and, and have those conversations, build that trust and, and move them, move them along. I suppose using that language though, it becomes a lot more relatable to a player, doesn't it? Where you're talking suddenly, you're not, you're not talking about strength so much anymore, where they might think muscle, you're talking about moving better, you're talking about staying injury free. And then you've got that buy-in, haven't you? And you can add add the resistance at that later later time. Yeah, and I mean, the technology now between like velocity-based training, um, you know, what you're able to do with force profiling, um, and, you know, like a product like the 1080 sprint is it starts really taking, um, the ability to where they see that this work in the gym and and the strength turns into Watts, Watts is power and and power speed and, and acceleration. And so, um, and they can have these measurable values to, to see that the buy-in becomes, 
uh, a lot greater. So the technology has certainly helped, you know, kind of bridge that gap between the weight room and the, and the field. And we on that as well, like uh, the other thing I was going to ask is how we need to improve or how, how a program should maybe be progressed, keeping in mind the way the game is going. Like we're getting more powerful. The game's getting quicker. You've seen teams now, the presses and the, the game, uh, I'm putting a timestamp on this episode, but the game at the weekend in the Premier League with Liverpool against City, um, there was times in that game when the intensity was crazy. So you're looking at games like that, like the game is evolving all the time, isn't it? So mm -hmm. as practitioners, when we're physically preparing players, where do you see, and I know it's a bit of a question that we don't know what's going to be in the future, but where do you see as maybe some potential areas that we need to work on and improve? Yeah, I think it, it is exactly what you said. Like the trend is in power repeatability and training intensively. So, um, and, and, and really intensive um, amounts and then obviously progressing that in a smart way uh, where it becomes sustainable and, and the ability uh, for the players. And, you know, it's interesting now currently, at least, you know, in the national or the international like FIFA, you know, with our qualifiers, we get five subs. So that changes almost the dynamic of the game because mm. we'll, we're going to use um, and we call them solutions. We're going to use all our five solutions pretty much all the time um, because, you know, the way we play, the way we want to play is we need to have that high pressing intensive way of playing. And so, you know, you got to have your training like that. You know, you got to physically um, have the ability because again, even from a recovery standpoint, if I'm stronger pound for pound, if the, that work, the energy is relatively less because I'm stronger. Now I've done respect, like I've done um, less work relative to if I wasn't as strong. So now if I've done less work, that helps me recover yeah. quicker because of that whole, how that is all set up. And so if these guys are stronger, and this was some interesting things at Rome, like you know, we would have some guys that were really bought into the program um, at, at games. They would just be making runs for the sake of making runs because they just weren't tired from the game because yeah. the pace of the game wasn't hard and they could recover really quick because they were, you know, so physically strong that it, uh, you know, they were able to endure that intensity game in, game out. Yeah. And I, I wanted to talk about managing the individual as well. And I was going to bring up a specific case study and I'm glad he had an absolute brilliant game at the weekend as well because it ties in quite nicely and you know I'm going to talk about but um you when when you search for your name which I was doing the last few days looking um for topics to talk about on the podcast Mo Salah is someone that's that spoke about the work um you did with him and obviously it, he's in top top form at the moment and you saw it at the weekend you touched on strength before and there was some points in that game where you could argue, like, if you're looking at a player's physical strength, then he he portrays it, doesn't he? Like, there's times where he's holding three, four, four players off <laughs> at one time. But in terms of managing the individual, um, I just wanted to uh, touch on that. So when you've got a, a squad of players, you're obviously working on everything that we spoke about so far, but then you get an individual like a Mo Salah or whoever it's going to be, What's your sort of focus and what's your, um, what's your process in going through making sure that each individual is, is managed? Yeah, I think, you know, first you got to prioritize. They're there to play football. They're there, you know, to, it takes a team to win. Um, so obviously the, the pitch-based stuff is, is the priority and what the coach needs to get done and, and, and have done is priority. And then it's really around having flexible systems. And so, you know, that was probably one of the biggest things I learned in my time at Exos was just how do you kind of compartmentalize all these pieces where they're almost like recipe or ingredients. And then, you know, depending on what you want to cook up for that person, you can use the various ingredients in the right amounts to get what you're trying to get out of them from a stimulus perspective. And so, 
Um, you know, it's just really having flexibility. So I, I kind of my nomenclature, how I systematize stuff is, is really from my time at athletes performance or exos. And so, you know, what can we do from a movement skill perspective? What can we do from a, a mobility stability perspective? Um, what can we do from a multi-directional perspective? And then, you know, from a weight perspective, you know, lower body pushes, pulls, um, upper body push, pull vertical, horizontal. So all, you know, kind of the traditional, um, categories, the plyometric ability of, of the athlete or the elasticity piece. And then it's just micro dosing it in, in various pieces. So I always say it's like brushing your teeth. If you, you know, brush and floss every day, the, the dentist visit is really easy, super simple, but if you only do it once a year, you know, it's going to take a lot. They got to hack on you for a while. Your gums are bleeding and, and it's not pretty. Right. And so it's really just finding out what they're able to tolerate and then, you know, peppering it in, in, in little doses. So, you know, for a guy like Momo, he, it, it, you know, his success is all him hundred percent. You know, he was really motivated, um, as I'm sure he still is today, you know, to just to be the best. And, and so he's like, Hey, I need to get stronger. I want to get stronger. And so we, we worked on it, you know, and each day he came in and depending on how things were going from a week perspective, how much he was playing, um, you know, then we would, we would, uh, yeah, prioritize his, his programming and, and, you know, he executed and, you know, it definitely showed from his time in Rome and, um, you know, the world cup he had after that and, and same with the time in, in Liverpool. So, um, Yeah. And and you see, you know, there is case studies around uh, football where you see guys, you know, before when they were younger and they got into it and, and, you know, you see the kind of the body transformations and, you know, I mean, obviously also Ronaldo for the age that he's at and, um, and and what he's still able to do um, is, is credit to him and, and just, you know, sticking with it. And none of these guys also, you know, when we talk about strength being equal to size or not equal to size, it's not like these guys are, are huge dudes, right? No. They, they, um, from a, a bodybuilding or American football perspective, but they're, you know, you see them with their shirts off, they're put together and they're strong in the weight room and, and they can move weight relative to their body weight. And, um, yeah. And they're just, they're, they just got to work at it. And, and it is also a mental attitude because if, you know, guys like, ah, oh, it's going to make me too tired. And, you know, if you've already succumbed to that before you even kind of stepped into the weight room, that's exactly what's going to happen. So you yeah. kind of, you know, Momo's a guy who's extremely positive and, you know, he kind of manifests what, what he wants to happen and that's what happens. And, and I think that's, you know, when you work with these players that have that kind of attitude, really the sky's the limit. Yeah. hundred percent. And how do you ensure then, um, or do you, do you incorporate into the program that transfer because developing strength power in the gym has to have a crossover onto the pitch, doesn't it? And we probably all can think of, I'm sure all the listeners can think of certain players where they'll dominate in the gym. They'll, they'll do well in the gym, but it might not cross over as well to the pitch. Whereas when we're talking about someone like a Ronaldo, someone like a Salah, it obviously does. Um, and again, like I, I referenced the game at the weekend, go back and watch it. There's certain times in the game where he he shows that strength. So what's what's your sort of um, approach for that? Getting making sure that we get that transfer onto the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I think first it's being clear that you have to technically have the abilities, right? Like, yeah. so it's not like these guys, Momo and Ronaldo, are not practicing their football. Um, and so that's certainly a, a priority. Uh, and then, you know, the, the gym stuff comes after the fact. But I mean, how I see it is we practice movement skills, right? So everything that we do in the gym is very much related to what they're going to produce out on the, out on the pitch. And so it's not like we get into these kind of circus exercises, you know, to try and replicate exactly what's happening on the pitch with a ball, but like anything related to linear acceleration, change of direction, multi-directional change of direction or, or pushing, um, 
you know, lower body strength, different, different positions, um, you know, with their upper body. I think one area that I always, I call it, um, stability limiting strength. And so, you know, like a single leg squat is a great example is you're only going to be able to squat as much as you can stabilize. Mm. And same thing, if I'm doing a, you know, kind of a, a side plank row, I'm only going to be able to pull what my trunk is going to be able to stabilize. And so I think when we look at programming for, for footballers or soccer players, the, a lot of that stability limiting lifting, it reduces the overall weight load, which reduces any kind of, you know, kind of muscle soreness, but yet they still get that neurologic, uh, buy-in from their body, having to self-organize to figure out what they need to do to stabilize, but yet still pull a weight because, you know, I always find it really interesting where if you lock somebody in a machine, you might have two guys that can pull the same amount of weight, but now you put them on one leg and one guy can pull that same weight and the other guy can pull a fraction of that weight. Yeah. So it's not like one guy got weaker. It's just one guy can put it into practice and their brains can self-organize themselves to figure out what they need to tighten and, and, and use to be able to stabilize, to pull that weight. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably a big part of how we do things is, is finding those stability limiting pieces because when you get out on the pitch, yeah, you're never in this nice, you know, kind of machine based structure to do your activity You're you know, rotating on one leg and moving here and going there and, and doing all those things. And so, you know, maybe that's where the transfer comes, um, is, is I think part of it. And then, you know, it's their ability also to extrapolate those, those pieces and, and, and move it over as well. I mentioned in the last episode that the upgrade of the community has, or the first stage has been completed. I've had some great feedback on the community so far. So thank you to everybody that has got in touch, all the members. Um, you can go and check it out now. The um, next stage of the upgrade is very close to completion. We've got coaches on there from the Premier League, the WSL, the EFL, a number of European leagues as well. So you can join those community members by grabbing yourself a free month at www.footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, go through the sign up process there. That will give you one month free on the community so you can see exactly what it's all about. After that free month, if you continue your membership, it'll go on to £4.99 per month and you'll get continued access to all the content that's on there, but including all presentations from future networking events and webinars and all the content we're going to be uploading as well. So if you've not claimed your free month already, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there, get yourself a free month and check out the brand new upgrade of our community. Here's part two of the podcast with Darcy Norman. Because that, that's um, sport specific, if we're going to put it in air quotes, like that's sport yeah. specific quick training can be done very well, can't it? But also you, oh, see, yeah. some, you see some horror shows <laughs> where people yeah. are trying to replicate things too much. Well, I suppose, it, like, what's, what's your views on the difference? Like, why do people go, why is it done well? And why is it done not so well? Yeah, I think you still have to pay attention to movement quality. And, you know, I think when we come back to that power equals work divided by time and time being efficiency. And so if you can get the body moving, like I am always going to direct somebody to move in the most efficient way possible. And now they might not be able to do the, you know, uh, length, tension relationships, tightnesses, hip, like joint issues, whatever the case may be. And so we'll work to try and solve that, to give them the best opportunities. So they're not robbing Peter to pay Paul to get through emotion. And I think, you know, a lot of people or from what I see, they don't necessarily pay attention to the movement quality, uh, piece of it. So if you're doing a, a, a single, leg balance with an upper body row into a kind of a running position. I want to make sure that you're sitting back in your hips, you're getting deep in your hips. You're not over rotated or, or, or rotated in any way. And we're going to start on a point where you can do it well first um, with good stability, with good quality. And then we're going to make that the path of least resistance 
rather than just, you know, a motion that looks like it without the quality piece put in. And, you know, yeah. there is some folks that would argue like, oh, it's a chaotic sport. You need to do different angles and different things and totally agree with that. But if we're starting out, I want to control um, the quality first, get really good at something. Then we can add all the craziness and chaos around it. But if we start with the craziness and chaos, then it's hard for them to, they don't have the experience to self self-organize of, of this is, this is my stable base. This is what I need to go back to. Um, and, and we need to teach that first before we can kind of add in all the, all the craziness around it. I mean, that's a great point. Cause it's basically, if we, if we're going straight into the chaotic environment, that's essentially the game, isn't it? We're getting too specific too soon in, in a way. And tr- I've seen, I've seen, you know, professional European level footballers, that are probably some of the worst athletes I've ever worked with from a, just mm. a pure athletic standpoint where I'm like, gosh, how do you even run? Cause yeah. they're so uncoordinated, but they're phenomenal soccer players or fo- football players. But from an athletic standpoint, you know, they lack a lot of pieces. And, and so from that efficiency side, you know, it just wears on them and they tend to be the guys that get injured more. And they tend to be the guys that, you know, um, that, uh, yeah, you just have have more more kind of issues. And I love a seamless link because we've gone straight into, I wanted to talk again about the relationship between um, physical development, but also technical development. I'm just with that as well, because you touched on it before about players that might turn around and say they're, they're one of the best in the world. Why do we need to develop physically? I'm performing. Um, but at the same time, I know you've had players that have been towards the back end of the career older players that obviously technically great, maybe physically have been great in the past and, and um, some speed maybe has dropped or, or they might have even just relied more on the technical ability. Well, the sort of relationship between the physical development and technical development, how that maybe determines your approach with the players? Yeah, I mean, the physical development, you know, is going to, as you said, as they age, it's going to just naturally drop. Um, and then you know, as that drops, the, the technical ability, hopefully over time gets better. So they can cut, they can read the game better. They can be more efficient, but when you're getting at that elite level, like it is, we're talking percentages, you know, if you can improve a one or 2%, um, you know, that could be a significant piece between like, just take a, you know, a joint grinding on each other, right? Like you have something pounding, and hitting each other. And the difference between it pounding and hitting each other or not is like millimeters, mm. right? So if I can make a millimeter of difference in your soft tissue and in, in joint compression and, you know, the coordination of how the instantaneous center of rotation of how a joint works, that's the difference between a joint getting worn out or a joint operating normally. And, yeah. and so it really comes down to What's the motivation of the player? Are they willing to put in the work? Um, and, you know, the education piece, the why are we doing it? And how's that, you know, does, does the why of why we're doing it connect to their why of why they should do it and why they're motivated to do it? And, and then it's usually not a problem. And, you know, there's numerous cases, again, in my time at Exos, where we would get players on the, on the twilight end of the career and they wanted one more contract. And they're like, they would come in and put in the work and they were like, gosh, I wish I wish I would have known this, you know, 10 years ago, my career would have been even longer. And so, you know, it's like those things as you get older, you get wiser and then you wish, you know, you would have done something. And so now you're like, you know, telling your kids like, God, if I was your age, I would have done this. We would be totally different, had way more success. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's part of life, living and learning and communicating, building trust between the practitioner and the athlete and kind of meeting where they're at and moving it forward. Yeah, I've spoken to quite a few people about working with experienced players because we've spoke a lot about learning from players because they've had obviously a lot of experience working with different coaches and different ways of working. Well, then I suppose there's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? They're either sort of setting the routine and this is how I've always done it, or like you've just said, they're trying to get and buy those few extra seasons or, or months, whatever it is. 
So it's an interesting one, isn't it? But I thought I'd, I'd ask because I know you've had some incredible, um, talented players right at the top of the game, but also at the back end of their careers. So people, I'm thinking of people like um, Francesco Tarti, people like that. Um, so it's just interesting to get to get your perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is always just trust with with the people. Like you know, for everything that we're doing, it's in the you know, we're at a player first or player centric approach. So whatever I can do to help that person get better is what I'm going to do. And, you know, within legal and and my personal values Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's not about me, right? Like it's about them. They're the athlete trying to get from A to B and without them, I wouldn't have a role in, you know, them trying to go anywhere. And so, um, it's about them and helping them. And so trying to figure out first where they're at, what they're trying to accomplish, why it's important to them, what's important to them. And and then, you know, kind of building on that relationship and trust to, to move them forward. And, you know, there's a lot, like you just, I think also have to have an open mind, you know, we're constantly learning, um, you know, where, just because it was published in a research article doesn't mean it's necessarily true, right? Like it might've been true for that research article and that little cohort, but when you broaden it to a bigger scope, um, you know, it it, it might not be as applicable. Like the Franco Impazelli, the the work he's done, you know, around not debunking acute chronic, but just bringing out the realities so we know it for what it really is. And then same thing, you know, he's just published some work on, on the same thing around Nordic hamstrings mm. and, and, you know, we, uh, it, it, people were kind of treating it like it was the Holy grail. If I do these, I'm, I'm going to be hamstring bomb proof. I'm never going to have a hamstring problem. And we know that's absolutely not possible, right? Like yeah. people still have hamstring problems. And so there's other things that we need to consider and look at. So we always assume we're right, but I think, you know, I think one of the things, you know, just for that confirmation bias is in decision-making is, you know, all you should be looking at why, you know, what are all the things that could prove you wrong? Mm -hmm. Because we'll go find the information to fulfill why we think we're right, but it's all the other information that says you're wrong that you should be looking at to make sure you're kind of considering all, all pieces. Yeah, definitely. No, that's, that's a great point. We got, again, we talk about having networks of coaches that you can reach out to, but also we've spoke about in the last few podcasts, having sort of mentors or a circle of coaches that will question you as well. Um, not in a way of just being an idiot, like, but actually trying to get you to think about what you're saying. And if, if it is something where you're falling into the trap of not only Nordics, like actually getting someone to question that, um, and, and giving you rationale and that makes you better, doesn't it? That improves you as a coach. Yeah, totally. I think it's, it's like anything, the more you learn just by walking in a room, right. And seeing different things to be like, Oh, that's interesting. How did they come up with that? And taking the time to understand why they're doing what they're doing. So you can, you know, understand those little nuances because if you just walk in and see somebody doing something, it's easy through your, your vision to, to assume, you know, why they're doing it. Right. So taking the time to be like, Hey, Ben, why are you doing that exercise? What's, you know, what about it? Is it why you're fitting it in here and here, because there might be other reasons that I'm not even aware of. And so, um, you know, just taking that time to, to understand all the, all the moving pieces. So you have a, a much better picture of, you know, why folks are doing what they're doing. So it's, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's critical. And, you know, that was also probably the interesting thing of, of working in different countries, different cultures, um, you know, Germany successful, Italy successful, America's successful all in their own ways. So what, what is it about it that is, makes it successful or not successful and, and, in trying to take, take little bits from all these different pieces, you know, to, to, to move it along. And, and yeah, cause you realize there's a lot of ways to, to go about things and um, you just got to kind of have your, have your why well organized and, and then get after it. Yeah, definitely. 
And I want to just touch on as well um, your experiences of tactical periodization, which is something we spoke about on the on the podcast quite a bit. But where S and C fits into that model, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around sort of strength conditioning and tactical periodization. Um, so your experiences on where it's sort of fitting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it's kind of the themes, right? Like if you do smaller sided games, I tend to pair the weightlifting, um, like more lower body stuff with smaller sided games. And then, you know, kind of more speed stuff with more open field based stuff. Um, and then two, like you also have to realize the human body is going to adapt to, to anything, right? So some people like lifting before some people like lifting after. And so you, again, kind of back to the, the flexible systems, how do you get it in? You know, my feeling is if if we're going to work on a strength quality, I want to prioritize that where, when we go out onto the field, your limiting factor is going to be your metabolic abilities, right? Like you're going to have muscular fatigue with metabolic scenarios. So I don't really feel like, you know, if I'm doing a bunch of on pitch training and if I'm truly working on strength and power, doing it after the fact, isn't going to have as much benefit than is if I was to do it beforehand. And so then it becomes a dosage and a volume so that the player doesn't feel like I've taken all the gas out of their legs, you know, to then go train. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think it's just complementing it, understanding the player, what they like, what they're used to um, dosing it appropriately. So if they are not used to it, that you're moving them in and being able to compensate for it uh, where, you know, they feel like it's not hindering their ability to, to work on the, on the pitch. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it is great. The more we can be efficient with what we're doing, um, the, the better. And so, um, you know, sometimes you got to separate it because one issue with the tactical periodization is, is you're going to be limited by the demand of the game. And if the game isn't going hard enough and you need to go hard, then you're going to have to either change your drills or change what you're trying to do to get those certain qualities. And that's where planning and being really organized and in line with the coaching staff and the performance staff have to have that tight bond, you know, then you can get really creative and do some, do some cool stuff. And so, um, and then same thing on the speed side is you can use all your speed and plyometric and prep stuff as a precursor or warm up in the air quotes, right? Call it what you want, but then that floats into more acceleration based drills or whatever the case you're trying to do. So it's, it's like any complex system. You need to have great communication amongst all the people that are involved in driving it. And if you do, you can accomplish some, some fantastic things. If not, then, you know, you end up in these kind of siloed work buckets and, yeah. and, and, you know, just trying to get it in when you can. Yeah. It's a great point. And I love that. That sort of flexible, flexible approach is so important, isn't it? It's something that again, loads of people have brought up on the podcast, that ability to adapt to be flexible is, is key, isn't it? To get your message across and fit in with, with what everyone else is going to be doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, like if you just look at acceleration, like how much of the sport is acceleration? And if we're working on these acceleration mechanics, doing some acceleration drills, like doing some buildup acceleration drills before we get into some uh, drills that require that kind of piece, then, you know, kind of to your point earlier about how do you apply or, or the, how does the transfer work? Um, you know, that's how it works is you build it into where here's a learning piece, no different than in soccer football itself. You know, if you're doing football tricks, you got to start at one place, then you move to the next and move to the next and you, you bring them along. Right. Or you work on, Hey, here's our tactical scenario. Now we're going to put it into a smaller game with no defense. And now we're going to put it, you know, where you have opposition so that, you know, it, it builds in a, in a teachable way that people can absorb it and apply it and, and put it to work. And it's no different from learning football as it is from taking performance-based training and, and, and putting it into uh, a football-based model. It's yeah. just one more, one more method to, to integrate into the system. Yeah. 
definitely. Now, I want to be respectful of your time, Darcy, because I know you've got plenty of stuff going on. So I just wanted to move on to um, some of the quick fire questions that we, sure. we do at the end of the podcast. Um, so the first one, it might be hard to narrow down, but some of the some of your biggest influences um, or the biggest influences on your career so far. Oh, wow. I mean, anybody out names. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Verstegen, Steve Cashin, Greg Bearhalter, Louis Van Hal, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, like anybody that's challenged uh, my abilities, you know, and, and, and kind of learning along the way. Um, there's a lot of folks I wouldn't be able to name them all. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, you know, just trying to stay open to learning and picking up what you can uh, along the way. But uh, yeah, definitely a lot of great practitioners for sure. Some pretty good names in there, I've got to say. <laughs> and Steve gets a mention, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, Steve, I mean, dude, Steve's, uh, Steve's a, a top operator, um, very in tune guy. And, you know, that was one of the big pieces of joining the men's national team is with Greg who I know is a phenomenal coach and, and Steve, and, you know, I've had a lot of coaches over a period of time. Um, so up until that point, I think it was 10 or 11 coaches in the 10 years in football. Um, so could never really get into a rhythm because we'd have a coaching change. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, to kind of hop in with Greg and Steve um, to really, you know, be with people that are open-minded uh, to, to learn and get better um, you know, it really proves what you can do from a, from a, you know, just group, group perspective and, and paying attention to detail and the collaboration and execution. So really looking forward to, you know, the journey we're on loving it so far. So it's, it's been great. Brilliant. And then next one, I always ask, what do you think your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Uh, I would have to go with range, the book range. So broad spectrum competency. Um, so I've worked as a fitness coach. I've worked, you know, solely as a physio, as a fitness coach and everything sports scientist and everything in between. And so, you know, I may not be like super niche in any one thing, but I think I, from a, you know, injury prevention, rehab performance, um, kind of can, you know, span the, span the gamut. And so I would have to say, uh, that, that, that might be my, my superpower. Brilliant. And then just finally, I always ask about continual professional development. So in, not necessarily in terms of courses and things like that, but basically where do you do your learning now? Yeah, it's with people smarter than me. So mm. uh, with guys like Steve and Greg and, uh, Jordan Webb and, um, you know, a lot of business books. Um, I find that there's a ton of things we can, we can learn as, you know, performance folks in the business world. Um, you know, like I just finished one book called customer success and a uh, phenomenal book. And there's 10 rules to customer success because essentially anybody you come in, into contact with is your customer. So your athletes, yeah. your customer, the coach you work with is your customer the club you work for is your customer. And, you know, the number one rule for customer success is make sure you sell to the right client. And so, you know, I th think really making sure that your values are aligned with the values of the people that you want to work with. And so, you know, there's, there's a ton of, of great stuff through the business side of it. And then, you know, it's hard to keep up with all the great stuff that's happening out there. Um, you know, with Martin Bushait and, and, and what he's doing, um, um, Les Spellman and I'm blanking on the fellow's first name. Dudu is his last name in English. Jonas. Fella. Yeah. Jonas uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jordan, um, on all the, you know, the rehab stuff. So there's just tons of great information. Like I'm really into the force profiling at the moment and, and, doing that stuff. So, um, yeah, there's, there's no shortage, if anything, no time to learn it all. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Uh, this has been super Darcy. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you. You giving up your time when I know things are so busy. Um, just finally, if people want to follow, um, what you're up to, where would you, yeah. where would you direct them? 
Um, I'm not, uh, don't seem to have a lot of time for social media besides <laughs> like probably stock and other people. Um, so Darcy Norman on Twitter, LinkedIn, and then, you know, my email with the national team is dnorman at ussoccer.org and kitman Darcy at kitmanlabs.com. Um, you know, always happy to chat and answer questions or, you know, talk about new things. Um, and so, yeah, those are probably the the bigger ones. Unfortunately, I'm I uh, busy with a lot of stuff, so don't don't get out on social media too much. Well, it's all crashed tonight anyway, so it's pointless. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we don't have to depend on it too much. It was a it's a breath of fresh air for me. I don't feel the pressure. Exactly. No, but Darcy, thank you very much, mate. Really appreciate it, and um, best of luck with the with the rest of the camp that you're on at the moment as well. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity to catch up. Don't be a stranger and uh, appreciate all the work you're doing for the industry and getting all the, the fine folks that you do have on your podcast. It's been great to listen to. Thank you, mate. All right, all the best. I really appreciate Darcy giving up his time and coming on the podcast. I know he's super busy with everything he's got on with Kitman Labs, but also the work he's doing with the US men's national team at the moment. So thank you very much, Darcy, for coming on the podcast. Go and give him a follow. Um, he's on Twitter at Darcy Norman. So just his name all um, without any spaces or underscores or anything like that. Um, in terms of takeaways, again, loads from this one. But um, he mentioned at the start, we still have a long way to go in terms of SNC and the culture around SNC and football. But I think he agrees with my views is that it is progressing all the time and we are moving in the right direction. Improving efficiency was something he talked about a lot in the podcast. So efficiency of the work we do with players. Um, and I think that sort of that is coming across when I speak to a lot of coaches, is that is the main focus of um what we are doing with the programs that we're prescribing at the moment. And actually next week's podcast, a little insight, next week's podcast will be um along this theme as well. So a little little sneak preview into into next week's episode 158 um he spoke about power repeatability so when we were talking about the game going forward how the game is advancing power repeatability is something that is becoming more and more prevalent and i mentioned the game what was at the weekend from when we recorded manchester city when they played liverpool the the intensity of the press the speed of the press the speed of counter-attacking these are all um it, the powerful and, and quick traits of the modern game. Flexible systems. So we talked about um, the analogy he used was recipes on this. So taking a recipe and if you're anything like me, you don't follow the recipe to how you're meant to follow it. You make little tweaks along the way, thinking you're some sort of chef. Um, but having flexible systems or systems in place that can be flexible with your approach and um, that man that allows you, and he touched on this in in the podcast, that allows you to manage individuals and individual circumstances. And then the other thing he spoke about, which was the transfer to performance, was stability limiting strength. So when we're talking about putting players in um, unstable situations or environments, how strong are they there? And and that's obviously when we talked about progressions of exercises. I know he gave some examples of exercises in the podcast as well um different examples of ways you can progress the exercise and and stress and test the player in different ways so really really cool chat with darcy i loved having him on the podcast again someone that i wanted to get on for a long time so i really appreciate him coming on he's doing some great work and like i say when players like mo Salah and a number of others are talking about the work that he does you know it is quality so big thank you to him again for coming on big thank you to everybody for listening as well don't forget, upcoming networking events, 4th of November, Leighton Orient Stadium, with a presentation from West Ham, uh, West Ham United Academy, physical performance scientist David Johnson. And then on the 16th of November, Newcastle United, St. James's Park, with Dawn Scott. And Dawn is going to be presenting on the preparations of the US um on their, their preparations for the 2019 World Cup. So I cannot wait for those two events. Go and get your early bird ticket now, footballfitfed.com. And thank you again for listening. I will speak to you again next week in episode 158.